Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcox. In this week's edition of Insight, let me give you some simple advice. Just because you're trash doesn't mean you can't do great things. It's called garbage can, not garbage cannot. Is it possible for insurers to offer simple advice? And will they tell me not to sweat the petty things and not to pet the sweaty things? Accept the fact that some days you're the pigeon, others you're the statue. How worried should I and the Queensland pigeons be about Cyclone Jasper? And if you're attacked by a mob of clowns, go for the juggler. Insurance submissions are being sent to those clowns running the inquiry into last year's floods. Hello everyone, this week I'm joined by Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh, Senior Journalist Benice Han and Editor John Deeks. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. What simple advice can you give me? I'm sure you don't need any advice from me whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, John. Hello. Are you the pigeon or the statue today? I'd rather be the pigeon. I think I think some people call them the rats of the sky, but at least they're uh, able to fly. All right. Well, I feel like I'm the statue, so I'm not sure. That's, that's great. And hello, Benice. Hi, Andrew. Benice, perhaps you can give us advice about how you knocked Wendy off top billing. I'm not sure about that, Andrew. <laughs> Well, Benice, the federal government wants to make it possible for insurers to offer simple advice. What is simple advice and how would it help consumers? It's the question that everyone is asking to right now. So the federal government has not indicated what the term actually means, other than to say uh, consumers will be getting more guidance from a new class of advisors who will be termed qualified advisors. What we do know at this stage is that the simple advice provided by these qualified advisors will be scaled or limited in scope. So basically, you know, um, they will, consumers will be getting help with less complex matters. And, uh, and these qualified advisors, they will have to provide the guidance that's in the best interest of the consumer. The insurance council is actually quite pleased with the proposal. Um, they say it's a good thing because right now, insurers in the direct space um, offer general advice. So these are actually very generic advice. You know? So it, it doesn't take into account the customer's personal circumstances. So uh, consumers who want advice with getting insurance, say home insurance that take their requirements, they'll have to go to a retail broker, find one who actually does uh, provide retail uh, insurance. So I see saying that they can they expect to have better conversations with their uh, customers once this uh, advice model is implemented. So uh, we'll have to actually wait for the draft uh, legislation because Treasury has not released any consultation paper yet. So we just have to see what it all means. Yeah. Do you think this could work, John? Yeah, it's interesting. So this is all part of the government's response to the quality of advice review and it's pretty complex but just focusing on this issue of of insurers giving simple advice i suppose i'm i'm slightly surprised by how enthusiastic the insurers are about it because i would have thought there's a, a bit of protection in, in giving general advice it's quite a safe place to be isn't it we've seen plenty of afca rulings come through on things like some insured where the c- consumer is saying hey look i was desperately underinsured and lost my house to a fire and now I can't rebuild it. And Africa says, well, you know, they were only giving general advice. So that decision was yours and yours alone. So I'm afraid it's on you as the consumer. If they start to give simple advice about things like some insured, does that mean they're then responsible if it if it goes wrong later? I think these are questions that need to be thought about. But ultimately, it's all about the consumer, I guess. And and there has been frustration that people get on the phone to an insurer and they really just get no help in, in arranging the, the right level of cover. 
I guess brokers would probably say, well, it's not a replacement for what we do. We're really going to look at things from your perspective and, and help you get the right cover. But uh, it's certainly interesting and we'll see how it all pans out. As Bernice says, there's going to be consultation. So we're certainly not finished yet. Do you think they'll advise the consumer not to purchase their product? Probably not, no. Well, Cyclone Jasper is heading for the Queensland coast, Wendy. How worried should we be? Well, cyclones can be very unpredictable, so it really depends where it crosses the coast. So last week they were saying it could be anywhere from um, Mackay to Cooktown, which includes some major population centres, but now it's looking more likely to be above Cairns. But of course, you know, once it hits the coast, that's not the end of the threat, really. We've seen in the past the associated flooding uh, in a cyclone's wake can cause a lot of damage. So we'll just have to wait and see. The other thing is the Bureau said that, you know, Jasper may track across uh, Cape York Peninsula, weaken into a storm and then could reform as a cyclone in the Gulf of Carpentaria next weekend. So then we'd have to keep an eye on what it does after that. At the moment, there's a good chance that it it may actually miss um, the larger population centres. I wonder if it gets renamed if it goes weak and strong again. No, Um, I don't think it does. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've been doing so well this year on Catastrophe Claims, John. We've absolutely been doing so well, as you say. I mean, we haven't had a single insurance catastrophe declared in 2023, according to our reckoning. And compare that to the period from the Black Summer in uh, 2019-2020, through to 2022 and all the flooding that we had, there were 12 insurance catastrophes during that sort of two and a half year period. So to have none through the whole of 2023 so far is is quite remarkable, I think. So yeah, looking back at that previous period of time, we had fires, we had floods, record breakers as, as well. And, and we had a pandemic, we had an earthquake even, which was a significant event, I believe, not a catastrophe, but still. And yeah, not a single one in 2023. And I'm that's been really beneficial, I think, to the insurers. And we've seen profitability returning to somewhere near where it should be. So I'm just hoping that Jasper doesn't come along and ruin it. Impossible to tell at this stage, I guess, what what's going to happen. But uh, it would be nice for insurers if we uh, dodged a bullet on this one. I just want our listeners to know they're actually recording this podcast inside a wooden cupboard. So uh, we're all touching uh, wood for that one. Insurers have been putting in submissions to the government inquiry into last year's floods, Wendy. Well, they have, and the inquiry has asked them a lot of specific questions about wordings, the use of hydro- use of hydrologists, staffing levels, changes in cover, complaints, a whole range of things. So the insurers have responded to those, and there's public responses which are available on the inquiry website. Um, some have also made confidential responses to some of the questions, so hopefully we might hear more about what they've actually said over the course of the hearings and the inquiry. And, of course, they've also made suggestions on that bigger picture of, of flood cover uh, affordability. So uh, Alliance continues to push for some sort of a flood pool and all the insurers are stressing the importance of getting rid of taxes on insurance. And Suncorp has suggested that the federal and state governments could introduce a, a targeted cash refund process where people in high-risk areas and on low incomes could get a direct assistance through refunds on the um, stamp duty that the states imposed. And then the, the states might get special purpose payments from the federal government in return and, and perhaps resilience type action could be added into that. So there's an awful lot of ground that's been covered in these uh, submissions. The Sunscot scheme is interesting, John. 
Yeah, I think so. As Wendy says, the idea being that uh, people in need would get a, a refund of the stamp duty that they've paid on on their insurance premiums. I suppose the important thing to say here is that the insurance industry really wants these stamp duties to be wiped out anyway. Um, but I guess failing that, this could be a useful a useful scheme. I think it's significant because it's the first time that I can think of that we've seen insure, an insurer backing any kind of subsidy scheme to help people in high flood risk areas. We've We've seen consumer groups talk about this in the past, they want a sort of broader subsidization scheme where people on low incomes in high flood risk areas get a government paid subsidy to help them pay for their uh, insurance. Yeah, this is, I guess, a clever way of doing it. But uh, most people would look at it and say, well, let's just get rid of those taxes altogether. And that helps everybody. Well, land use is critical to future resilience, Bernice, and IAG has a new report out. Yeah, it's the latest from IAG, one of three in the past 18 months on uh, reducing disaster risk. So uh, this latest report is about land use planning and how Australia needs to start factoring in resilience in in the decision-making process to limit community exposure to natural hazards. So um, basically the report is saying that, you know, the country's land use planning system is currently not equipped to address evolving challenges of natural hazards. There's a, a lack of effective application of natural hazard risk, climate change projections and scenarios uh, in the in the decision-making process. So, um, and then land use decisions are made using outdated risk assumptions. And this of course um, places communities at risk by impacting their well-being and increasing the cost of response and recovery for businesses, governments, and insurers. So um, it makes a number of suggestions to improve things. One, uh, establishing guidelines on natural hazard risk tolerance for land use planning, and the other, um, creating a comprehensive database on natural hazard risk associated with property. So basically, you know, purchasers of a property uh, of this particular property that's up for sale, they can actually access this database and know what's in store for them. Well, it's hard to disagree with IAG's points, Wendy, but will the government's listen? Well, these issues have come up at national cabinet, so they are on the government agenda. And, you know, IAG's recommendations include doing some more at that level. But there have been some encouraging signs. I mean, but one of the issues is it's not even just a matter of the federal and state governments. You know, local government has to have a, a huge role to play too. And getting everyone committed to clear action is, is not that easy, particularly when there's so much pressure from developers and the community to provide more housing and, and to provide it quickly. So, I mean, governments are listening, but they're sort of listening with one ear, I think. Well, finally, Wendy, RECQ Insurance has confirmed that it'll stop offering motor insurance cover for rideshare vehicles. Well, yes, uh, RACQ says it was a decision not taken lightly, but its information that it collects highlights a higher rate of claims related to rideshare vehicles. So it's stopping offering cover for ride-sharing and related food delivery service vehicles, and, and this was starting to take effect from last month. But it says it will still provide cover for policy policyholders that are an employee of a company that uh, they deliver food for and for those delivering food for a registered charity. Could this be problematic, John, if others follow suit? Yeah, I think it could be. I mean, we, we have seen issues in the past with AFCA rulings where people have failed to disclose the fact that they're using their vehicle for ride-sharing purposes. And we've seen claims denied on that basis due to a lack of disclosure. 
but most insurers seem to be okay with it if if you declare it. I think if everyone did what RACQ Insurance is doing, then it could be a major spanner in the works for the ride-sharing industry. But uh, I don't think that's likely. I mean, RACQ may well be right when they say that there are, you know, high, there's a higher level of claims when cars are used for this purpose. But surely, what most insurers would do is just charge a higher premium for it. You know, there's a market for that cover and. I assume that some insurers will still want to still want to fill that gap. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, Wendy Pugh, John Deeks and Bernice Han. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Inside Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, on all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.